0: thank you everybody for listening it's a privilege and honor to be able to host this podcast in an ongoing way if you'd like to support and get behind what we're doing either in this podcast form or in publishing work or over on youtube with the videos the extensive kind of growing library videos there please do drop us a line we'd love to get in touch if you want any more information please do let us know and we can get that over to you but there's lots of information it's pretty obvious what we're doing and we would deeply profoundly value your support we're not part of a wider network of churches we're not part of a wider denomination we are literally solo and so if you appreciate this work or if you know others that might please do drop us a line and as i say see the link in the show notes hello everybody and welcome to into the Prey: breaching the chaos of the church with nick and mary franks although it is just yours truly today I'm going to do something today that is uh, really in an honor of this book. And if you're not watching the video, you'll have to tune over to YouTube to see the cover. This is um, oh, on camera. This is John J.C. Ryle's expository work on the Gospel of John, and I'm reading it at the minute, loving it. It's just so good. It's um, again quality book, but it's the content that you'll understand. And I've come to verse 14 of chapter one, and Those of you who tune into this YouTube channel or podcast will know that I've done some strong videos recently regarding uh, Bill Johnson, Bethel, the heretics that those guys are and the teaching and the, the, the occult practices that go on there and how those said beliefs, heresies and practices have infiltrated the British church. Specifically, and it's not restricted to, but specifically in the videos that I've covered, the Elim network of churches, and the video that I've done on that, addressing and calling uh, Elim leaders to account and their behaviour and response. So, what I want to do today is simply answer the question: What should Bethel, what should Elim, indeed, churches be teaching their people regarding the incarnation of Jesus? Now, I ask that question um, because I come to verse fourteen of John one and. What I've read in this passage is, to date, and I don't expect this to be bettered, this is the best that I've come across in terms of addressing this issue relating to Jesus' incarnation, the mystery that it is. And that's what I want to say at the beginning of this. This is, this is ground that is holy ground, and it's, mis- it's a mysterious ground, and it's a ground, as Ryle is about to say, should be ground that gives us pause for thought as to whether we should even be probing around on it. This whole thing of kenosis, if you don't know what that is, Google it, but Bethel's teaching on that, which is, as the devil often does, is similar to truth, but it's sufficiently not correct for it to send people to hell. Let me just say as it is, this is not a slight, this is not a small thing. So what I want to do today is, with this book in mind, that was written by Ryle, actually to be um, read in a kind of house church small group setting and one of the beauties of ryle's writing is that it's very easy to read yourself but it's also very easy to read out loud and that's a fruit a symptom i suppose of his education and his quality of his writing but this is what i'm going to do i'm going to read um the way that this book works i'm sorry that you can't see this very well um I will put some quotes into the um, show notes and to the video notes for this so you can read that. But I haven't got time today to produce individual slides for you. But I'm going to read his, what is a very short, um, let me just check here. I think it's like, it's a couple of pages. I want to read, and this is all on John chapter 1, verse 14. So this is all on one verse. But you'll see what I mean in a minute when I come to his expository thought, which is just one short paragraph where he quotes the Athanasian Creed with regard to this one verse. And you'll understand, whereas I do this video, that my this is the question. What should Bethel, what should Bill Johnson and his head honchos, theological head honchos, what should they be teaching the church, their churches? And they're not. What should Elim churches be teaching and they're not? This is the answer. This is what this is what they should be teaching. So this is J.C. Ryle on John one, verse 14. And let me just read that one verse to remind us all as I get into this. So John one, verse 14 says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Ryle says the passage of scripture now before us is very short if we measure it by words but it is very long if we measure it by the nature of its contents. The substance of it is so immensely important that we shall do well to give it separate and distinct consideration. The single verse, this single verse contains more than enough matter for a whole exposition. The main truth which this verse teaches is the reality of our Lord Jesus Christ's incarnation, or being made man. John tells us that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The plain meaning of these words is that our divine saviour really took upon human nature upon him in order to save sinners. He really became a man like ourselves in all things, sin only excepted. Like ourselves, he was born of a woman, though born in a miraculous manner. Like ourselves, he grew from infancy to boyhood and from boyhood to man's estate, both in wisdom and in stature. Like ourselves, he hungered, thirsted, ate, drank, slept, was wearied, felt pain, wept, rejoiced, marvelled, was moved to anger and to compassion. Having become flesh and taken a body, prayed, read the scriptures, suffered being tempted and submitted his human will to the will of God the Father. And finally, in the same body, he really suffered and shed his blood, really died, was really buried, really rose again and really ascended up into heaven. And yet, all this time, he was God as well as man. This union of two natures in Christ's one person is doubtless one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian religion it needs to be carefully stated. It is just one of those great truths which are not meant to be curiously pried into, but to be reverently believed. Nowhere, perhaps, shall we find a more wise and judicious statement than in the second article of the Church of England, which reads, The Son which is the word of the Father, begotten from everlasting of the Father, the very and eternal God, and of one substance with the Father, took man's nature in the womb of the blessed virgin of her substance, so that two whole and perfect natures, that is to say, the Godhead and the manhood, were joined together in one person, never to be divided, whereof is one Christ, very God and very man. Ryle carries on, this is a most valuable declaration, this is sound speech which cannot be condemned. But while we do not pretend to explain the union of two natures in our Lord Jesus Christ's person, we must not hesitate to fence the subject with well-defined cautions. While we state most carefully what we do believe, we must not shrink from declaring boldly what we do not believe. We must never forget that though our Lord was God and man at the same time, the divine and human natures in him Were never confounded. Let me read that again. We must never forget that though our Lord was God and man at the same time, the divine and human natures in him were never confounded. One nature did not swallow up the other, the two natures remained perfect and distinct. The divinity of Christ was never for a moment laid aside, although veiled. The manhood of Christ during his lifetime was never for a moment unlike our own, though by union with the Godhead, greatly dignified. Though perfect God, Christ has always been perfect man from the first moment of his incarnation. He that is gone into heaven and sitting at the Father's right hand to intercede for sinners is man as well as God. Though perfect man, Christ never ceased to be perfect God. He that suffered for sin on the cross and was made sin for us was God manifest in the flesh. The blood with which the church was purchased is called the blood of God. Acts 20 verse 28. Though he became flesh in the fullest sense, when he was born of the Virgin Mary, he never at any period ceased to be the eternal word to say that he constantly manifested his divine nature during his earthly ministry would of course be contrary to plain facts to ex- to attempt to explain why his godhead was sometimes veiled and at other times unveiled while he was on earth would be venturing on ground which we would which we had better leave alone i'm going to read that sentence again to attempt to explain why his Godhead was sometimes veiled and at other times unveiled while, on, while he was on earth would be venturing on ground which we had better leave alone. But to say that at any instant of his earthly ministry he was not fully and entirely God is nothing less than heresy. The cautions just given may seem at first needless, wearisome, it is wearisome, And hair-splitting, it is precisely, it's it's wearisome that I'm having to do this. Not think about it. I want to weep with joy when I read this, and I hope you do, listening. It's wearisome that I'm having to correct this kind of teaching at Bethel, or churches that just suck it up. The cautions just given may seem at first sight needless, wearisome and hair-splitting. It is precisely the neglect of such cautions which ruins many souls. This constant undivided union of two perfect natures in Christ's person is exactly that which gives infinite value to his mediation and qualifies him to be the very mediator that sinners need. Our mediator is one who can sympathize with us because he is very man and yet at the same time he is one who can deal with the Father for us on equal terms, because he is very God. It is the same union which gives infinite value to his righteousness when imputed to to believers. It is the righteousness of one who was God as well as man. It is the same union which gives infinite value to the atoning blood which he shed for sinners on the cross. It is the blood of one who was God as well as man. It is the same union which gives infinite value to his resurrection. When he rose again, as the head of the body of believers, he rose not as a mere man, but as God. Let these things sink deeply into our hearts. The second Adam is far greater than the first Adam was. The first Adam was only man, and so he fell. The second Adam was God as well as man, and so he completely conquered. Let us leave the subject with feelings of deep gratitude and thankfulness. It is full of abounding consolation for all who know Christ by faith and believe on him. Did the word become flesh? Then he is the one who can be touched with the feeling of his people's infirmities because he has suffered himself being tempted. He is almighty because he is God and yet he can feel with us because he is man. Did the word become flesh? then he can supply us with a perfect pattern and example for our daily life. Had he walked among us as an angel or a spirit, we could never have copied him. But having dwelt among us as a man, we know that the true standard of holiness is to walk even as he walked, 1 John 2.6. He is a perfect pattern because he is God, but he is also a pattern exactly suited to our wants because he is man. Finally, did the word become flesh? Then let us see in our mortal bodies a real, true dignity and not defile them by sin. Vile and weak as our body may seem, it is is a body which the eternal Son of God was not ashamed to take upon himself and to take up to heaven. That simple fact is a pledge that he will raise our bodies at the last day and glorify them together with his own. What should Bethel, what Bill Johnson and his theological expert, what should they be teaching the church? What should Elim churches be teaching their people rather than just sucking up from Bethel? Let me tell you, this is it. In the last five minutes, as I've read that, there's a lot in that as he begins off by saying there's a lot in just one verse. But it is addressing in large part this issue of the incarnation, the nature of Christ referencing Philippians 2. Um, verse seven, I think it is, but listen to this. this is now the Athanasian Creed in his expository thoughts about this issue of Christ being the Word became flesh and dwelling among us, meaning that he was he was God and he was man, he was divine and he was um human. Listen to this short paragraph, and this is the answer to the question: What should Bethel? bill johnson be teaching their people this is the answer in the first place let us carefully remember that when the word became flesh he became so by the union of two perfect and distinct natures in one person the manner of this union we cannot explain but the fact we must firmly believe listen to this guys Christ, says the Athanasian creed, is God and man. God of the substance of the Father, begotten before the world, and man of the substance of his mother, born in the world. Perfect God and perfect man, who, although he be God and man, yet he is not two but one Christ, one not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by taking of the manhood into God. Ryle says these words are very important, and I think particularly that last sentence. Let me read it again. Jesus, who, although he be God and man, yet he is not two but one Christ. And then listen, one, not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by taking of the manhood into God. Father, I pray that where there is theological error, I pray particularly for those who are in error without it being willful or deliberate. I pray that you would have mercy. I pray that you would, by your spirit, lead your people and including leaders into all truth and that there would be repentance. Lord, where there are wolves in sheep's clothing, while those who are willfully deliberately teaching and exporting theological error lord i pray that you would act because it's time it's it's time lord surely for you to act because your law is being broken and people are being led astray and i pray for the flock i pray for the great flock of your people that at this time there would be the truth the wonderful truth of what it means to be on the kind of ground and territory where we simply worship We don't try and work it out. We don't try and come up with some... Lord, we just simply accept the truth of your word, veiled as you were at times and unveiled at others, and that that mystery as to why is your mystery alone. And we pray now in the precious name of the word, Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of Into the Pray. Please do consider grabbing your copy or copies of the glorious few the limited edition version via the body zero book shop you can find information via FirebrandNotes.com. maybe be radical consider buying one for yourself and a friend maybe somebody in another country put some solid christian material in their hand